a lot of urban legends and myths and stories. And it seems like the American Southwest is just full of all kinds of craziness, ghosts and monsters and, and more Cattle mutilations. And well, that's going to come up. Yeah. And aliens. Aliens. Now, there's a little town. I mean, a very little town. We'll, we'll talk more in detail later. Called Dulce. And it's, it's right there near the Colorado-New Mexico border. And is it possible that there is a joint-operated human-alien facility located near Dulce, New Mexico? An underground base? And, and not just, and this, it's not even a one-of-a-kind situation. Apparently, these bases are everywhere. Not just Area 51. So, tonight, we're going to be talking about Dulce Base. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten, and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Now, I 100% believe I've heard of Dolce Base before. It's an old story, apparently. But really, I, I guess it's one of those ones I forgot about. It's like almost out of a science fiction novel. I mean, bits yeah. and fragments of but, it. But uh, it, it kind of came back to my attention. I think I've talked about it on the podcast before. I look at Reddit and get a lot of ideas from Reddit and then things that pop up on Facebook. And Dolce Base was one of those things that just popped up all of a sudden and kind of fell down that little rabbit hole. And it is a crazy story. It really is. Like, like Eric said, it's a sci-fi story in, in that it, it encompasses a lot. There's government conspiracies, you know, men in black type stuff, UFO sightings. Lizard people. You know, abductions, mutilations. It's, it's just a crazy story. But one thing I want to say, we, and I want to, I'm going to say this, we'll, we'll talk about it now for a moment, and then we'll get back to it after we finish the main story here. I know we took a little break. We sort of always seem to take a little break around the holidays for various well, reasons. Yeah, whether intended or unintended. Yeah, yeah you know, one, we knew we were going to be on a short hiatus, and then things kind of snowballed and, and some weather issues and health issues and whatnot. But we are back. This would technically be, I guess you could say, the fifth season. Five seasons. We started this in, in, on Valentine's Day. Of 2020. And the elusive 2020. Which was not the best time. We ended up with a huge gap in 2020. <laughs> but if you were looking at each year, this would be season five of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Welcome to season five. So this will be, uh, we just wrapped up our fourth full year. So I think towards the end of the, this episode, we, we might reflect on that a little bit. And, but back to the story of, of Dolce Base, Joint Operated Human Alien Underground Facility that is rumored to exist underneath the Archuleta Mesa uh, on the Colorado-New Mexico border. Now, it's called Dolce Base, again, because it's, it's near the town of Dolce in New Mexico. Now, this is a small town, like I alluded to earlier. Population uh, about 3,000, I yeah. think, something like that? Well, according to what I read, not even big enough to accommodate a traffic light. Oh, wow. Like, they don't even, like, yeah, so 3,000 might be pushing it, unless they just, uh, you know, encompass a huge area with it or something. And yeah. it's part of the Hickory Apache Indian Reservation, I think, as well. But yeah, just this little, little bitty town. Now, this little town has, you know, could be harboring a big secret here. Well, it has the largest number of UFO sightings per capita 
in the entire world, and that that's saying a little something, a little something, something. But yeah, allegedly, there is a seven-story facility located entirely underground underneath the Archuleta Mesa. Seven stories. Seven stories. I think the the I was I was looking at some stuff right before I came today. Actually, I think they said it's like seven kilometers underground or something. Like, or, or I was just doing some quick math. I mean, yeah, it's, ten it's, foot per level minimum. Yeah, no, that's seventy foot, probably pushing eighty foot or more. Yeah, it, it's it's supposed to be this huge facility that goes way 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 underground. This sort of a joint operation. Now, as we get deeper into the story, joint operation might be phrasing it in the nicest possible way. <laughs> um, apparently, there hasn't always been peace among races. Men in black I, kind of stuff here. I think I stole that line from Transformers or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, apparently this hasn't always been a peaceful uh, coexistence there. So supposedly each floor of the facility is dedicated to a specific type of research. And we're talking things ranging from mind control, genetic experimentation. Uh, supposedly they're developing human-alien hybrids as well as human-animal hybrids in the labs. One of the gentlemen that actually has come forward, uh, he goes by the name Thomas, he actually worked on building part of Dulce Base. And as he has come forward, of course, he signed all these contracts, super secret, not talking about it. Didn't seem to work too much with him, but he describes the seven levels as follows. The, the first level is security and communication. Level two is human staff and housing. Note that word, human staff and housing. Yeah. Level three is executive housing and labs. Uh, level four is mind control experiments. Level five, alien housing. Level six, genetic experiments and a zoo. I also, you said level six? That's level six. One of the things I saw was that level six is known as the nightmare hall. Ooh. And apparently, uh, those, that rings those, better than a zoo. Well, those people <laughs> who have worked there claim that it is the most terrifying location in the entire facility. And on this level, you will routinely hear human screams echoing throughout the halls. Ooh, I, I don't know what kind of experimentation happens there, but but level six is the level that I guess people don't go there. Like the aliens do their don't work. Don't push level six button on the elevator if you <laughs> go there. And, and level seven is cryogenics and cold storage. There's kind of the breakdown of the of the seven floors. Yeah, there's supposedly some video footage out there even that exists from uh, one of the facility's cameras where somebody. The uh, security guard that worked there supposedly smuggled it out. I wasn't able to to find said evidence because apparently it disappeared. Was that so. the one that had like humanoid creatures floating in like water filled canister kind of? I stuff? didn't find any description of it. I just they said the tape has long since disappeared. Yeah, so. I, I stumbled across something, and again, I couldn't really find any of the pictures or anything, but that rang some bells for me. Yeah. Now there's a lot of things going on that, like I like I said earlier, this this facility is supposed to be one of. You know, I think hundreds, if not thousands, maybe across the world. But uh, you know, the first the first claims that there was a facility underground here went back all the way to the 30s. But really, this story starts coming together during the 70s, and this is when New Mexico State Police Trooper Gabe Valdez began investigating unexplained cattle mutilations in the area. Now, the cattle mutilation phenomenon that was a big deal, 70s, 80s, uh, continues even to this day. Mm-hmm. Poor cows. Now, uh, in one of his one of his interviews. This is a quote from Gabe Valdez. The evidence that was left there, you know, predators don't leave gas masks, glow sticks, radar chaff. They just don't leave that stuff. Uh, And he would make, you know, more claims even later on, including sightings of silent black aircraft hovering over his house and the discovery of a fetus even inside of a dead cow that he was investigating, but not a calf fetus. 
Again, another quote from Valdez here. It looked like a human, a monkey, and a frog. It didn't have any bones in the head. It was just full of water. Now, of course, when you find something like this, Valdez jumped to the only logical conclusion he had. This is a strange alien baby. Alien. He also claimed that, that during his investigations in this time frame to find listening devices, sophisticated listening devices hidden throughout his home. Now, there were some scorched earth marks and stuff, I think, also that he mentioned in some of his reports. And I came across what they said, a three-footed, like a tripod. They called it prints, but like where a tripod had followed this cow for like a couple thousand feet. It's kind of weird. The cow had been drained almost of all of its blood. Well, when you look into the cattle mutilation phenomenon, and we could, I think someday we were probably going to do a whole episode on that. Well, we had a big deal on Skinwalker Ranch. But, but yeah, like did. organs are routinely removed with like surgical precision. Uh, there's not a lot of blood found at the scene. You'll usually find scorch marks or landing gear. And I say that with quotes, but marks in the ground mm-hmm. where something had landed there. I believe people have even seen cows supposedly being lifted into the air oh, seemingly yes. by oh, invisible yes. craft. I have so. one of those such stories for this. Now, Officer Valdez, he had taken photos showing sections of the cow's flesh around the jaw. It had been cut away, exposing the bone and the tissue with something that, as he described, had a laser burn incisions. Valdez knew this is kind of at his normal field. You know, he, had, he was a beat cop, basically, and just kind of inherited this. So he reached out to help to a Dr. Howard Burgess of, and I, I may mispronounce this, but San De Leon National Labs. Dr. Burgess eagerly arrived about 72 hours later, and then the two men returned to the site. Now, oddly, no other predators had come to feed on this bloated carcass. No vultures, wolves, coyotes, no scavengers whatsoever. It was as if they were afraid to even go near this carcass. It had been right at a full three days since the death of the cow. Besides the bloating, not even a maggot had started to feast on the dead cow's carcass. But it was noted that one of the cow's ears had in this three-day period been now removed since Officer Valdez had taken the original photos. And again, this ear had been removed with surgical precision. And again, not showed up in the original photographs. With this Dr. Howard Burgess, he took some samples of what blood and some tissues that he could. He was trying to get some other you know, a professional's opinion on, you know, obviously this is not normal. What, what take would you have? The two gentlemen started doing some research and over the following months, 17 livestock animals would be killed or mutilated. Very similar to this means in this direct area, all their lymph nodes were noted in particular to being removed. And they said also many organs were surgically removed. All the creatures were drained of almost entirely all their blood. as I had mentioned earlier, but there was no large pool of blood ever found around any of the animals. So it, you know, it didn't like leak or spill out like they, they had been harvested right there. So what little bit of blood did remain was taken as samples. And the, they found that those samples did not clot. It also did not act like normal blood anymore. Now, this is back from this Dr. Howard Burgess. This was his professional medical uh, report. More scientists, medical staff, veterinarians, specialists were all called in from the area to research this, uh, when many of them started getting sick. Now, some of them were really bad sick. They had to be rushed to the hospital within like 24 to 48 hours of being exposed to this carcass. And it was found that it was, no shock, radiation sickness. Scientists quickly took readings and found that the, re- uh, the readings there were at least twice to three times higher than normally would be found there. 
During all this time, scientists researchers now suited up to avoid the radiation and continued nonstop of their work. Now, it was noted at night, strange orange and yellow lights would be seen hovering or flying in the sky. Bill had mentioned like some black uh, aircrafts, like moving with no sound over top. During the day, dark-colored Black Hawk helicopters were even often uh, visibly spotted overhead. Now, this caused Dr. Burgess to speculate that maybe there was a little bit more going on to this than just the direct 50-mile radius that they originally were looking at, and he was right. He found accounts of similar cattle and livestock mutilations similar to this had been described over several years to a number of towards 8,000 different animal reports. Whatever was going on, this had been going on for quite some time, not just directly in the Dulce town area, but the entire reservation there in the Mesa area. So as all this is going on, and you have people investigating the cattle mutilations, an Albuquerque businessman by the name of Paul Benowitz. Now, he's a smart man. He's got a PhD in physics. He starts becoming involved in these stories. He's following them. He's, he's wanting to know what's going on. And he becomes convinced that these animal mutilations are the result of alien experiments. So starting in 79, he becomes convinced he's intercepting communications from alien spacecraft and installations outside of Albuquerque. So, you know, if you think you're discovered something like that, you're definitely going to start looking into it. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, he's a smart guy. He's got a PhD. So he, he's, you know. Now, he was under a contract with the United States military government, I think, also selling like electronics and stuff. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't have reference to that. That's very possible. By the 1980s, he had genuinely come to believe that he had discovered a secret underground base not far from Dolce, which was populated by gray aliens and human beings. And by 83, his claims had begun to appear in, in the press. And of course, his story spread rapidly within the UFO community, you know, with the, the idea that, that people and, you, and aliens are, are cohabitating. You know, that, that's a big deal. Now, uh, in 87, ufologist John Lear claimed that he had had confirmation of the base's existence. And in 86, author George Clinton Andrews wrote about Dolce Base in his book entitled Extraterrestrials Among Us. Uh, in 1988, the notable tabloid Weekly World News, which, just an aside here, I love the Weekly World News. I'm not claiming it's a reputable source of news. I don't know if you remember Eric, the, the, the bat boy headlines and things like that. Oh this my is gosh, weekly yes. world news. Okay. Okay. My yeah. grandmother. I okay. love that image by the way. <laughs> here, here's an aside, a little side story, a little personal anecdote. Uh, I had a report that I had to do when I was in elementary school where I took a news article and I, I wrote about it and I had to find an article from the paper. Well, we didn't get the paper, but my grandma loved the weekly world news. <laughs> and so I took it an, an, an issue and the cover story was, it was a picture of Michael Landon as I was a teenage werewolf. Oh, yes. Remember? Yes, yes. Uh, about, a, about a werewolf that had killed someone. And so I took that and I wrote my report on that and probably didn't get the grade it deserved because <laughs> clearly it wasn't real news. Look at you. You were podcasting back then. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I was. Groundwork yeah. for it. So anyway, Weekly World News publishes this story entitled UFO Base Found in New Mexico, which claimed, quote, Diabolical invaders from another solar system have set up a secret underground base in the rugged mountains of northern New Mexico so they can Shanghai human guinea pigs for bizarre genetic <laughs> experiments. Now, um, gotta love those headlines. Yeah. Now, the Weekly World News uh, supposedly used quotes from ufologist Leonard Stringfield. However, when Stringfield heard about the story, he said, quote, I have never read such a distortion of facts in my life. <laughs> so, uh, now, why would people think there was an underground base? 
political scientist Michael Barkun wrote that Cold War underground missile installations in the area could explain why people believe these rumors. There was obviously underground facilities that had been built and made and all that. Yeah, well, I mean, we all know that there's underground for like the president, his staff, you know, in case of nuclear war. And I mean, so, yeah. 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 It, it's, you know, there, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the desert underground and, and all that. But yeah, according to Barcoon, he said the, the claims of abductees and battles between aliens, which we haven't even got to yet. You know, the, the quote, well outside even the most far-fetched reports of secret underground bases. Now, of course, like Eric talked about earlier, the residents of Dolce claim to see UFOs all the time. Strange moving lights, other unexplained phenomenon. Even Jicaria Apache Legislative Council President Ty Vicente, quote, has embraced the notion of a Dolce base, partly in a push to stimulate tourism. As a matter of fact, in 2016, the town hosted the Dolce base UFO conference at the local casino slash hotel. Now, going back to Paul Benowitz a little bit, you know, as uh, Bill had said, this was a very intellectual, smart man, master's degree in, in physics. He was pursuing his PhD. He opened an electronics store in the area of New Mexico, and his main customer was none other than the United States military. In fact, he did so much business with the Air Force in particular that uh, he purchased land and built a house adjacent to the Kirtland Air Force Base. Now, Kirtland Air Force Base is this massively huge complex spanning an area of over 80 miles. At its peak, it had over 20,000 people working on the base in some capacity. Kirkland also happens to be the largest nuclear weapons storage facility in the Northern Hemisphere, there in the area known as the Monsanto Mountain Range. Uh, as we had talked about, there are many underground bunkers uh, in the mountain regions and, and dunes, 80 in particular that are kind of documented. Many of those are military Air Force bases. Some are private bunkers. And a lot of these are connected, in theory at least, according to Paul Benowitz, with tunnels, just miles and miles of tunnels connecting these. As I had mentioned, now, Paul Benowitz had built a house right along the side of the Air Force Base. Now, I wouldn't think that would be normal practice. I know you, know, you can only own so much land, but still to be adjacent and have property right up against. Yeah, most military bases own a big chunk of land even outside of what is the actual base yeah. for that purpose. But because maybe he was doing so much business with them, I don't, I don't know how he got it. But regardless, he had a uh, two-story house that he built there. And when he came forward years later, you know, he said, often I'd set out on the second floor balcony. He said, I saw all kinds of lights of this massive complex. And he goes, yeah, I, I noticed all kinds of strange flying lights and crafts. He even started videotaping, you know, numerous occurrences and started sharing them. Now, again, this man has signed these privacy acts, secrecy, NDA. Didn't seem to pay a lot of attention to it, at least. Uh, that was my take on it. Definitely didn't stop him. Uh, he was an independent contractor, so maybe that gave him a little bit more liberty, or at least in his eyes. But uh, by doing this, he had literally a front row seat to whatever was going on. Now, uh, he admitted it's an Air Force base. You know, they're testing new, new planes, new technology. So he goes, I know a lot of what I saw wasn't well, quote unquote UFOs. Even you yourself have sort of a, a UFO potential sighting that kind of matches stealth yes. aircraft now oh, that yeah. we know that they're out there. Yeah. So down by our Falcon area, looked up over the car, didn't even know it was there, and it was just like hovering and then took off. Well, anyhow, he began to share some of his own stories and recordings, both audio and video, with some select UFO groups. Now, some of Paul's research work would later be destroyed or stolen. 
But some of these things that he had shared early on still pop up from time to time. So that could be faked, but it also does kind of lead a credence to, you know, when I won't get into divulging the story yet, but when Paul finally does die and a lot of his research goes missing, there is documented old documents that come forward. So that kind of adds a little bit of credentials, I think. But in 1979, he attended a UFO research convention in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and there he would meet up with none other than the police officer uh, investigator Valdez that goes back to the original cattle mutilations. They traded UFO sightings and these cattle mutilation stories and the likes and quickly struck up a long-lasting friendship. Officer Valdez uh, had become the go-to officer. Now, I don't know if that was something he liked or disliked, but anytime he got one of these We'll call it an X file. I was, I was it got literally pushed to him. I was literally thinking that he probably was like Fox Mulder. You know, it's just like, oh, he's the guy that deals with those. Yeah. But, hold on, this one's for you. Yeah. You know, Gabe, here you hey, go. We got a weird guy over here. This off frog man. Yeah. It's for you. It's yours. So anyhow, that kind of uh, fueled this friendship because the two of them definitely were very highly interested in UFO and new technology and, and all of this. Well, then in 1980, Officer Valdez caught a very important case, and that is of, of Myrna Hansen, in which he immediately reached out to his good friend, Paul Benowitz, to help on this mysterious case. Now, Myrna Hansen claimed to have been uh, involved in a terrifying experience while driving home in the Eagle's Nest region of the Mesa one evening. Both her and her teenage son saw what they described as UFOs, plural, flying over a field just off the road where they were driving home on. They pulled the car off to the side, parked it, and took off on foot towards the UFO's light beam shining down into the field. Now, while I'm not certain, it sounded like they had turned their car off, headlights off, you know, so they weren't like divulging, hey, we're down here. They were trying to be kind of, you know, hush-hush secret, kind of walking up along the ditch, the fence lines. And they described walking up to the fence and clearly seeing a cow grazing in the field this UFO hovering overhead, and all of a sudden a spotlight comes shining directly down on the cow. They watched in terror and amazement as this cow started to float up like <laughs> in a tractor beam. I'm envisioning Twister with the cow, you know, a little bit different but similar. Well, yeah, but I mean, more. not exactly. <laughs> Anyhow, this tractor beam, if you will, from this UFO is pulling this cow up, you know, into the UFO. The, the next thing they remembered both Myrna and her son were back in their car, with it turned off still, still parked along the side of the road, but hours had passed. Now, neither of them had any memory of what had happened in those hours they of the time lapse. They got probed, <laughs> yes. Very typical. I mean, you... Yeah, missing time. Missing time frame. They struggled to remember and privately spoke uh, mother to son about it and so forth, but only fragments and blurbs could be recalled. So it wasn't something they even ran home and told a lot of family members about. I think they did share it with the husband, but the mother's son, you know, since they both experienced it, would compare notes from time to time. So Myrna in particular seemed to really shut down. She did not like this fragmented memories, as I can't imagine anybody would, but she was starting now to remember certain details and it made her very uncomfortable to speak about it. So Officer Valdez and Paul Benowitz started working with her. They asked her, would you allow us to hire a sleep hypnotist, a specialist, and in doing so, if you grant that permission, we're going to try to help you remember and grasp and deal with whatever it is that occurred on that frightful night. She agreed. 
Myrna Hansen remembered that night driving and seeing the lights from the flying crafts overhead. She remembers leaving the car and approaching the fence, viewing the cattle in the field, one cow in particular being levitated up into the craft. Apparently, she too was abducted at this same time. She remembers being inside the ship, which was a very, as she described her words, sterile looking, but with strange building support components like that of a saucer. Now, her abductors, she said, never spoke a word, but she remembered she could hear them inside her head without them speaking. She remembers she was not alone. There were others in the room having procedures, as she described it, done, as well as animals like the cow she had seen being brought up. She could hear the aliens speak to her without words, almost apologetically, that, you know, you're not supposed to be here. But accidentally, you were taken. You know, she's thinking probably most likely due to just being wrong place, wrong time, close proximity. But since she was there now, they had no other choice than to continue with the procedures. She broke down in tears at this point, stating it was horrible that she was humiliated in every ounce of her composure as the aliens examined every inch of her body, probing and sticking her with strange devices. She described their appearances as what we now call graylings or the gray aliens, as Bill had mentioned. She remembers being taken from the craft and being moved through an underground tunnel into an underground complex. She there remembers a horrific stench like none other she has ever smelled before. She remembers seeing tall columns filled with liquid and various body parts floating or suspended in the liquid. Now today... Alien abduction stories are semi-common, but early in the 1980s, this was still pretty unusual. Lastly, Marina remembers something that might be the key. The men were looking for something easy to prove or disprove her story. She remembers a device being implanted into her body. Although she was uncertain, she felt it might be a means for the aliens to track her down and possibly a means to control her thoughts. Easy enough to prove or disprove. Myrna agreed to go to the nearby Lovelace Medical Facility, where she went in for an x-ray, exactly where she had stated at the base of her skull, the x-ray showed a tiny device, an implant of some sort. She also had a very faint scar, in which the doctor said at first they just thought could have been nothing more than a natural grown birthmark. But Myrna, Benowitz, and Officer Valdez felt this was firm proof There was something going on, and a direct link with the Air Force base and possibly alien technology. Paul Benowitz continued to report everything he gathered in his private research to the Air Force, which he had been doing the entire time. So he's going back to the Air Force saying, hey, this has happened. Hey, I saw this happen. Hey, we just interviewed this Myrna gal. You know, he is reporting all this stuff, so I guess maybe that was part of the contract that he did pay attention to. He's sharing all this. A Richard Daughtry was assigned to Paul Benowitz there in the Air Force, and the two men became good friends because of spending so much time together. Because Paul, I think, was one of these guys that was just constantly knocking on the poor guy's door. Hey, I got another weird thing I need to report. Sorry. Now, Agent Daughtry was shocked. He was speechless with this story. You know, he told Benowitz, these look to be like underground military bases that only a few knew about in Dulce, Mexico. So we have an Air Force individual who works directly for the Air Force. I'm not sure what his uh, officer role or whatever was. Office of Disinformation. There you go. (laughs) That'll cover it. 
But he's saying, you're describing verbatim things I've seen that the public should never see. He said, you know, he had personally been there many times. And uh, he found Mirna's case to be quite interesting, very viable, probably the most viable of anything that Paul had brought to him. Over the next 20 years, Benowitz and Agent Daughtry, Officer Valdez, and others found more and more credible information. Confirming the underground base at Dulce, with aliens working with the military at least in some type of a partnership. There were just too many facts to ignore, too many eyewitness accounts, too many strange occurrences. But Bill, why would the government or military be working with aliens on an underground base? When did this happen? To what degree and to what end? Crazy. Speaking of, I don't know. I mean, this slightly off topic, but I just was thinking of it as we were talking, you know, government working with aliens and all this. What does the government know? What do they not? Um, have you seen any of the new stuff lately with the, the coming out of Congress and all that? I haven't kept up with it. I have not. Yeah. That's almost another full episode we could do on governments and the UFO just with what's happened in the last six months. Of disinformation? Potentially. <laughs> so Allegedly. Now we're going to roll into the story of Philip Schneider. Now this oh, is, yes. I like this story. This is, this is probably the most, I won't say compelling, that's not the right word, but definitely the most interesting, the most action-packed, sci-fi, Independence Day level Oh, crazy story. Novel movie credential here. But yeah, over the years, as Philip Schneider has become a, a key figure in the Dolce-based story. Now, he's a former explosives engineer uh, who was allegedly employed by the U.S. government. Now, he would claim that he helped construct a secret underground base in the Dolce area in 1979. Here we go again. And now, during the construction of this facility, he started to become suspicious as to what they were actually building. What, what was he building for the government? Uh, especially when he began to notice special forces soldiers operating in the area. Obviously, whatever they were doing, it was important enough to guard with the best of the best. Now, he had begun this construction like you would begin any underground facility by drilling holes. During one of these drillings, he encountered a foul smell coming up from underground. And then sometime later, as he's walking through the tunnels of, of this area, this facility he's building, he turns around, comes face to face with what he called seven-foot-tall stinking gray aliens. That's kind of what Myrna reported. Yeah. Now, apparently in the excavations of the, the Dolce base, they had unknowingly discovered a series of ancient caves that these gray aliens had been using as a, a earthbound facility, some sort of base on Earth that they had. So not new. No. No, the aliens were there. They just tapped into it, apparently. Now, Schneider does what anyone does when he's underground and he turns a corner and he finds these aliens uh, <laughs> looking at him. He pulls out his gun. Now, why did the engineer on the project have a gun on him? That, that's a question that's been asked. Yeah. He pulls out a gun, he fires on the aliens, he kills two of them. He also claimed he lost several fingers during the firefight when one of the aliens shot him and hit him in the hand with some sort of laser blaster. Now that, that can be confirmed. Phillips is, is missing fingers on his hand. That's, that's, he's been interviewed, that's been documented. Now this was when his life was saved by a Green Beret who allegedly gave his life to save him. Of course, this, this small altercation would escalate into a full-scale battle with these subterranean aliens that would result in the deaths of at least 60 human beings and an unknown number of these gray 60 aliens. 60 human beings and aliens. This was a major gunfight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, according to Schneider, the Green Berets brought all the firepower they had against the aliens, and the aliens, would f they were fighting back with some sort of blue bolts of radiant energy that they, they seemed to project with just simple movements of their hands. But our homie Phil, he took out two of them with, I'm well, assuming, a revolver. They're flesh or, and blood or, creatures. I mean, yeah. yeah. Now, Schneider said that these bolts could turn a person inside out. Ooh. And he saw that happen. Ooh. But eventually, 
humanity would kind of get the upper hand in this particular battle, and these aliens would retreat deeper into the complex. Now, he says that the war that started that day still continues. Like, there is still bad blood between the greys and human beings. And he also says the Dolce base is just one of 129 facilities in the United States and part of a larger network of over 1,400 scattered across the world. Wow. Now, he says that the price tag of each facility is at least $17 billion or more. Now, he would also say that some aliens had made peace with humanity, so I assume these are the ones we're working with at Dolce Base. This is seriously like Men in Black yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, the movie, Men in Black. And, and, and the, those aliens were collaborating with human beings in, special, in the special base that he had helped build, but they were still carrying out horrible experiments on human beings. Now, as if this couldn't get any more interesting, two years after publicly discussing Dolce Base sometime in the mid-90s, Schneider was found to have committed suicide using a catheter cord. However, Schneider told his family that if he ever turned up dead under suspicious circumstances, that he did not have any intentions of killing himself. He said that he was not suicidal multiple times. Yes, and of course, those interested in his story believe that his death was orchestrated by those in power to silence him and to keep the truth from coming out. Now, as Bill had mentioned, you know, Phil Snyder was found deceased, ruled as suicide. That took place about four months, oddly, after a lecture in January of 1996. You know, and apparently they're saying he'd taken his own life. The re- police report of his death found there to be an ample supply of prescription medication. So he could have ended his life the easy almost way. painlessly the I, easier I don't want to say that. That's yeah, not the right. I was looking for the right word, but if he, 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 without using those words, you, pills. I think, yes. I mean, you kind obviously, of follow. Obviously, we're not encouraging, you know, not trying to judge one way or another. No. Suicide's not the But the one answer. would think that would be less as the other, but. There was also his pistol, which, I mean, if you wanted to do Again, it quick. There's another, another way. But, you know, Phil was found, as you said, with this catheter, medical tube wrapped around his throat three times, according to the police file, tied in a knot where he allegedly suffocated himself slow and painfully. Now, it would seem difficult for maybe anyone to wrap a medical tube around your throat three times, tie it off in a tight knot, have the time to do that, keep it there, not you know, have the human instinct to reach up and, you know, yeah. pull it away. But for Phil, it would have been much harder due to the injuries and afflictions. So remember, he was missing fingers from his left hand. Uh, you know, coming from somebody who lost some fingers in a table saw accident, thank goodness they reattached mine, but... We've, we've talked about that. Yeah, there, I, I have limited abilities with, you know, and he is still missing two fingers. So you have that and his shoulders were said by medical doctors were totally worn out. He could not lift his arms above his shoulders or, you know, above to his head. So again, you're going to wrap this cord around your neck three times, be able to tie it in a knot, missing two fingers, and you can't even lift your arms above your head. Uh, it was swamp gas. <laughs> he, he did it with the help of swamp gas. Yeah, which was from cow farts, I think, too. <laughs> the medical examiner even refused to go to the scene. Although he was required by law, he did take blood and urine samples once the body was brought to him, but he said there was no reason to submit them because it was a suicide. Now, when Phil's ex-wife and his family went to the apartment where Phil's body obviously was discovered, they found it ransacked. His computer was gone. Boxes of files and papers were all gone. All evidence of tape, video, paper, all gone. And no one was saying where it was or who took it. Then, 
a strange obituary appeared in the local newspaper, and it stated Phil died of a stroke. But nobody knew who reported that. Nobody knew who put that in the newspaper, submitted it. You know, the newspaper, they went back and they said they couldn't even find a name source. It had just been submitted with other obituaries for the week. Now, Phil Snyder was not the only one to come forward. There were many others. Tom Castello, a whistleblower, former independent photographer that worked on many top-secret classified projects with the military. Uh, he had left his position. Thomas actually had made several copies of some of the strangest photographs that he'd taken for the military and flat-out stole military files and documents, in particular Dulce Base. He, of course, also had taken this oath, and under penalty of death, no matter what he saw or heard, he wouldn't divulge. I don't know if this was a, a you know invisible ink or whatever that occurred on these <laughs> documents. These these guys don't seem to care. But so as we've talked about before, when you have a small town that's got some crazy history, they usually tend to embrace it and make some money off of it. And like like all these other towns, Dolce has embraced its aliens. The local players' sports bar and grill, local gathering spot, has a poster near the door with two green aliens reclining on the bar with the caption "Where the locals <laughs> hang out." <laughs> It also features a unique menu item uh, the inspired by another frequent visitor to the area called the Sasquatch Burger. The Sasquatch Burger. Now, I only I want to go it, there already. Oh, I only include it. Wait till you hear the description. I only included it for the description. It is an enormous burger, two pounds of beef, six strips of bacon, four slices of cheese Ooh. on a bun shaped like a giant foot. Oh, that's would, so cool. I would 100% order that. I don't know if I could eat it all, yeah. but I would order it. The local Wild Horse Casino sells t-shirts with green aliens in the caption, I got probed at Dulce Base. <laughs> so, again, never like, gets old. like never all these little old. towns, they totally embrace this. And, and you know, if they're going to make a buck or two, so be it. Might as well. So, headline time. For my headline, I'm going to take kind of a little humorous side. Most of you may remember the internet forum that called people to raid Area 51 several years back. With the, with the was it the Naruto run or whatever? Something or, like yeah. that. And of course it never happened. But if you really want to possibly see an alien in person, you don't have to even plan to raid Area 51 or go to Dulce Base. Instead, maybe try the UFO Welcome Center in Bauman, South Carolina. Well, if aliens ever visit our planet, looking for a place to rest their head, they need look no further than South Carolina resident Jody Pendarvis, homemade UFO welcome center. Now, although he might already be sleeping out there in it, he's sure to make room for everybody. Built to resemble two silver UFOs stacked behind a scrap metal fence, the welcome center was literally cobbled together from scrap wood, metal, and random junk. The larger of the makeshift ships is on the bottom, built with all the amenities of an interstellar traveler might need, such as a toilet, a shower, a television, and air conditioning. The smaller of the ramsackle saucers simply rests atop of that one, with no connecting bolts, and according to an aspiring galactic ambassador, Pendarvis, this will allow it to be moved easier using alien technology. So maybe they want to jump on the smaller one, go through a local drive through get a burger snack or something. Now, the ship looks a little run down these days, but Pendarvis, uh, who stays in the ship when the temperatures go above 55, because he says its AC is a lot better than his trailer that's, <laughs> that's parked there, 
still holds out hope for alien visitors. However, human visitors are also allowed to tour the UFO Welcome Center if they're able to reach Pendeverus and pay his ever-increasing entry fee. Now, simply look for the words UFO Welcome Center. They're spray-painted clearly on the fence, so the aliens can find it. So can explorers like you and I. Nice. That's funny. <laughs> well, my headline is from the U.S. Sun by Cheyenne R. Uberia, dated May 18th, 2023. The headline is, Shock as alien craft spotted above legendary hotspot in clearest UFO footage yet this year. Mm. So, Shocking video shows an unidentified flying object in the sky above Roswell, New Mexico. Boom, boom. Uh, sleuths are calling it the clearest UFO footage this year. Weather balloon. Yeah. The footage <laughs> features a shiny cylindrical-shaped object seen floating in the sky. Now, several onlookers stopped to take video, and the object appeared to slowly move as it looked suspended in the air. Uh, the YouTube channel Third Phase of Moon shared the video. Uh, they have more than 800,000 subscribers. At one point in the video, a plane comes in close proximity to the unknown craft. The host of the Third Phase of the Moon says, quote, Crystal clear footage in broad daylight. It doesn't get much better than this. What the heck is going on in New Mexico? Now, there was, of course, some speculation as to the authenticity of the video. I mean, of course, you know, this day and age, some people thought maybe it was faked with CGI, whatever. Uh, however, members of Third Phase of the Moon called it the real deal as they discussed it. Quote, whatever is going on, we're looking at possible new experimental aircraft right here. They point out that they saw no evidence of whatsoever of CGI manipulation. They also, of course, still had questions about the craft. Uh, they noted there was no apparent propulsion system keeping it in the air. Uh, the video did gain more than 18,000 views as of the time of the writing of the article. Uh, it had received hundreds of comments, which sparked further debate. Uh, one, one commenter, I don't think it's CGI in the first video. It's weird, whatever it is. But what bothers me is where's the rest of the video? Another viewer who, who checked out the video on, and, and posted on TikTok said, uh, quote, Why would you not continue to film until your phone dies? The only good excuses to stop filming is if a meteor lands on your head or you're run over by a train. <laughs> uh, another fan speculated the aircraft may have been a blimp, specifically the, the, uh, from the airship company Sci, S-C-E-Y-E, hmm. said, quote, if you Google it, they look exactly the same. And Sai is based in New Mexico and test flights blimps there all the time. You can even see the fins on the bottom of the blimp on some pics. Mm -hmm. So maybe, maybe mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. So for our question of the episode, I wanted to get a little, little thought provoking. Uh oh. As I was trying to come up with a good question for this one, I thought, okay, here's here's a, here's a good question and and timely too, because who knows? Our our, you know, this this may happen before too long. <laughs> before you're, this this episode drops. You're you're elected president, Eric. Oh, again. I know you've got a good strong platform. People like you, and and they 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 come to you. Your advisors come to you, and they take you to like Dolce Base. They take you to Area 51. Oh. They show you all the secrets and a Bigfoot burger, and get you a Bigfoot burger while you're Sweet. there. Sweet. You have to, you're gonna have to share that though, because I mean that's a lot. Of food. Absolutely, man. I wouldn't leave you out. Um, do you what do you tell the public? Do you go on TV and say, or do you keep it like, what's the right answer? For, okay. In your opinion. Sitting here today in front of you, my answer would be probably what you would expect. You've, you've known me for years. I don't always play by the book. I play by what my heart says is yeah. the right thing to do. So I would go in, I would get as much information <laughs> as I possibly could. And in my role as president, which thank you, by the way, I would have to share that. I think that's the right thing to do. Is it going to scare the bejesus out of some people? Could it cause mass panic? Probably. 
But you know what? If I'm seeing it for myself and I know it's real, it's going to cause mass panic at some point anyhow. So, yeah, I'd be that guy. Yeah, I think. And I uh, would be immediately thrown out of the White House. Well, or you could be JFK, you know. That'd be, oh, yeah. Because apparently that's what he was going to do, right? Yeah. He was getting, according to the stories, he was getting close. I wouldn't have a chance to get thrown out of the White House. I am the kind of person that tends to, I don't, I don't lie. I don't like to lie. Um, so I tend to, you know, if I have information I can't share, I tend to not say like, I don't know, but more like, well, I can't say. And so I feel like that Someone would, would have me- to come to you. Bill, have you literally saw UFO technology and I put you on the line? Well, that's what I'm saying. I think that would get me in trouble because my first <laughs> response would be to say, well, I can't talk about that. Ah. Well, by saying I can't talk about Boom. that. I've revealed there's something to talk there's about. There's something to talk about. Now, I do believe that, that when the time comes, we're looking at a fundamental shift in the way humanity views itself in the world. Yeah. I've said before, I, you know, how dare we as humans with as vast as our solar system and the cosmos and everything is, how dare we think that we're it? Well, I, <laughs> here's my personal thought. Sitting here talking to you. I think we are very close. And, and when I say close, I mean next 50 years, maybe. I don't want to say it's going to happen tomorrow. And, I, and it could be longer than that. But I think we're very close to the powers that be saying that, that yes, there is more out there. We can't hide it We're anymore. not alone. And, and I think that's really going to be hard for some people to deal with. Now, yes. now there was a, there was a, when I was in high school and, and I was into these things and we would talk about them, there was a guy who was super, super fundamentally religious. And, and not to poke fun of that, obviously, you know, everybody's entitled to what they believe in. Absolutely. You know, it's the extremes that scare me. But, but he was fundamental. Like, he was one of those extremes. And so he had overheard us talking one day, and he goes, you want to know what I think? And I was like, oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> and he goes, it says right in the Bible that there were other souls than these. It does. He goes, we're not alone. There, there is other life. Now, if you want to hearken back to the Fermi Paradox episode, why has it taken so long? Why? Whatever. Are we a, an experiment gone wrong? Are we being protected? Is it, is it Star Trek? We haven't achieved the right level of technology yet, and, and to contact us would be a violation of the Prime Directive. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. where are we? And, even, and, and realistically, I think if you look at Star Trek, we're actually past first contact, I think. Yeah. I, I think we would be. I would think. Um, yeah, absolutely. So here, here's my thought. As much as I am skeptical at times, I believe humanity has already made first contact. Now, not humanity as a whole, but obviously certain aspects of humanity. And we're just waiting for that to be confirmed. Well, the historical archaeological findings that many scientists just walk away from because they don't have the answers. It goes against everything yeah. we've been told. They're not even denying it. They're just not acknowledging yes. it. You know what I mean? It's kind of like what you said if somebody point blank asked you, well, I, I'm not allowed to talk about that. Okay. Well, that to me is saying kind of the same thing. You, that just doesn't randomly happen. You know, there's stuff there and we're going to uncover more and more. My gosh, in the last five years, two years even, we've come across so many new archaeological discoveries that are just mind-blowing. There's no yeah. way that, you know, cavemen can build precision stuff. You know what I mean? It's, I, I saw a headline just this week and I can't remember the full context of it. I just, I just read a little bit of it. But the quote was something along the lines of, is the truth out there? Yes. Who knows the truth? The people with power. So, again, I, I think you would look at a fundamental change in humanity as a whole once that comes out. Especially if we realize, one, we're not the biggest, baddest 
creature in the universe. You know what I mean? Like, and I think we prove it on a daily basis. We're not the most intellectual and smartest. Yeah, we're definitely struggling we with that We fight with one another, kill one another, build inventions to kill one another. I mean, you know. My hope is that when, when they finally do reveal themselves that they're here to help and that, you know, that we embrace that. I'm, I've never been one to thumb my nose at help, so. Yeah. What, whatever it would take to make us better. We, we, we live in a time where no one needs to suffer, no one needs to starve, no one needs to be homeless, and yet it's rampant. Those things don't need to be there. They are there because somebody, somebody isn't going to make money doing that. Somebody chooses to look the other way. Our philosophical views on Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Funny little comic I saw the other day. It's a little kid talking to a teacher. The teacher says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And um, the kid says, well, I want to be a dragon. <laughs> and uh, and who the, doesn't? The teacher says, well, well, Jeff Bezos, you can't be a dragon when you grow up. <laughs> and then the, the last frame of the comic is just Jeff Bezos laying on a pile of gold with the Amazon logo <laughs> behind him. So, Touche. You know, there, there are people who would hoard wealth at the expense of humanity as a whole. And I think that is, is the greatest sin of all right now. Absolutely. So here at the end, let's, let's take a moment, Eric and I, just to reflect on, on four full years. If you do the math, that means we should have 208 episodes. Is it four or is it five? No, it'd be four. This is the beginning of our fifth year. The beginning of our fifth year. Because we started in 2020. Tw- yeah, 2020, 2021. Let me go back. 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023. We're literally counting on our hands. Here, Four our years. We've got a lot of people who listen. Those those numbers kind of creep up gradually. We've got our YouTube presence now. Uh, as a matter of fact, I had an email. What's our stats, Bill? Uh, I'm not going to go into all that. No. But I have this email. And a comment was made on our alien abduction episode, episode 83, that I posted on YouTube by Roland. That's as close as I can get to actually pronouncing this. I loved the attempt. J-W-O-A-H-L-N-T. Zwolent. We'll go with that. You guys have a great show. I'm not sure how I came across it, but I'm amazed you have so few views. Aww. I think Eric and I agree. We, we don't know what's going on there. We need more. So we're being you, censored. If you like what we're doing, and I think we got the call to action, of course, but just let people know. Well, thank you for that comment. We've gotten a few comments on YouTube. The YouTube channel is growing. I know it's just a static image, but we're not recording live video here. I think we're pretty close. Well, you are pretty close to getting caught up we're, with all the episodes there. I think we're up to 90. Okay. And so there's like about 100 and, what, 145. I think I started posting with episode like 130 something. So there's about 25, 30, 40 getting more episodes. pretty darn close. Bill's been so, working his fingers to the bone I, getting I, all that I done. missed it this week. Friday night, I kept saying to myself, there's something I need to do, and I don't remember what it is. Had that feeling in my head. Saturday, I woke up, and I was like, man, there's something I should have taken care of yesterday, and I just don't know what it is. No joke. I was walking into Haha Tonka, because it was such a nice day. This was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon when it hit me. I didn't do the videos for this week. <laughs> so we didn't, we didn't post anything this week. But, but this has been really fun, and I enjoy it. Likewise. And, and we did this for the fun of it. Yeah. I mean, we're not. Seriously, we are not making a dime at this point in time. And life has changed so much for both of us oh, since we started doing this. Yes. We both have new careers and, you know, familial changes and things like that. I have a, a future daughter-in-law now and, you know, I, I've met other listeners. I've created new listeners unintentionally uh, at my new job. I, I mentioned to, to, a, to somebody who was asking me, you know, 
we were talking about computer backgrounds and did I edit this or have I ever done that? And I was like, well, I do some audio editing. And then it was like, well, why do you do audio editing? <laughs> well, Funny okay. you should ask. I do a podcast. And then he asked me about it and that was that. And then, you know, a couple of days later at work, he opens up his tablet and he goes, is this you? And it's our artwork, you know, our cover art. I recognize so, this cartoon. So yeah, it was like, uh, well, heck this week, even, uh, I sold some stuff on Facebook marketplace and a name you'll, you'll be familiar with, uh, the gentleman that worked for both of us, Mike Bickford. Yeah. Um, ended up buying some stuff off me. We got to talking and, and he downloaded and he started listening. Where can I get more of this? And, you know, I told him <laughs> that, you know, you're sharing it up on YouTube and all that. So shout out to Mike. Um, you know, he was vengefully going through and listening to a bunch of our episodes. So he was that spike that popped up a little probably while Probably so. Probably there was so. one day where there was a whole bunch of downloads. I, I look at that from time to time. I've kind of gotten away from it, but uh, we're, we're close to 30,000 total downloads. Um, and, and then YouTube viewership is slowly creeping up there, but. We have, a, we have a couple of videos that have quite a few views on, on YouTube. So, so do us a favor. It doesn't cost you a dime. You know, if, if you like some of our episodes, and obviously, you know, the, the chance to find a listener that loves every one of our episodes. Yeah, they're not going to be for everybody. not going to be. Heck, but. Every episode isn't even for us. Like, yeah, yeah. There are episodes that but, I don't like as much as others. won't cost you a dime. Just tell a friend or two. Maybe share it. You know, help us get that out there. Exponential We'd, growth. I mean, would, you tell a friend and they that. tell a friend. Sooner or later, everyone on earth. We'll be listening to and maybe aliens nightmares. and well, people not on Earth. Yeah, people not on Earth. I'm fine with that. I am too. <laughs> well, again, we hope that you've enjoyed yet another episode on Dulce Base and Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Thanks so much for each and every one of you. We love you. Hey, real quick, call to action. I think Eric would agree. We'd like to grow this Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Absolutely. If you could, if you're listening on Apple, if you would go and give us a review and, and rate us. Uh, if you have some feedback, that's fine too. Uh, whatever, whatever platform you're listening, follow us, rate us, give us some reviews. That helps get some recognition and gets our name out there. We do have a Facebook page, Nightmares on the Lost Highway. You can easily find us if you want to communicate with us. If you want to share some uh, possibilities for future podcasts with us, you know, reach out. We want to talk with you guys. But yeah, this would be our. I mean, we started in 2020, so. Actually, wouldn't this would be season five then? 2020, 21, 22, 23. Yeah, this would be our unofficial season five. Hey. So. And we got renewed five times. Yeah. Where's all the you'll, money? You'll, you'll. <laughs> I went back and started listening to a podcast that I used to listen to. And I was listening. It was their first year. Then they're, they're wrapping up their first year and talking about how, it, how much it changed their life. And they were at the top of the Amazon charts or iTunes or whatever. And I'm like, how did that work? So I actually In researched them. Well, it turns out they were already internet famous, oh. and they had a platform to plug their podcast on, and this was back in, like, I think they said they were wrapping up 2010. That was still pretty early to the podcast game, too, so. Back in the early gunslinger days. Now, supposedly, each floor of the facilitate, facilitate. Facilitate, that's French. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, we need hey. a Benji rescue. Uh, he literally has crawled up in Bill's <laughs> lap and on the table. <clears throat> now, do you want me to do this one, or you want to? I don't to think I have anything about a mirror. Okay, this is the one with the flying cow out of the field. No, I, I okay, I must have heard that story somewhere else, but okay. no. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. 
I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing, and thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. And I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love. But we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.